0: Sistress History, Part 4, by Trillum Haladrin, Associate Dean of Altheric History, University of Gwyllum. After signing the Concord out of fraternity, the remaining captains and crews of the All-Flags Navy returned to their own lands, save for a few from High Rock and Colovia. Those who stayed behind were mostly engineers and labourers, tasked with construction of a monument to commemorate the fleet's triumph over the Sload. This grand edifice took more than twenty years to complete, In that time, many of the Breton workers brought their families to High Isle and set roots in the villages surrounding the shipyards, primarily in Gonfalon Bay. Despite the increasing Breton influence on the island, it remained an imperial holding, claimed by Bendu Olo himself as an extension of Colovia. Relations between the Bretons and the Elysian Empire turned sour in the years leading up to High Rock's secession in First Era 2305, throwing the archipelago's future into doubt. Rather than casting the Bretons out as the Emperor demanded, the Colovians demurred, insisting that the costs of removal were prohibitive. In truth, the Colovians were simply biding their time, preparing for their own chance to assert their independence. Emboldened by the Legion of Faith and Piety's failure to recapture High Rock, and the continued encroachment of Elysian clergy into Western affairs, the Colovian estates finally revolted in First Era 2321, initiating the War of Righteousness. To the great relief of all Cistrians, the battle lines never reached beyond the shores of Tamriel proper. The costs of the war, however, swelled beyond what even the wealthiest Colovians could afford. While Highrock could rely on the Dragontail Mountains, the Druidax, and the arid wastes of Hammerfell to defend them from imperial aggression, the highlands of Colovia afforded little in the way of natural barriers. Both the Elysians and the Colovians emptied their treasuries in a desperate scramble to gain a material advantage over the enemy. By 1st era 2326, the estate's wealth was completely exhausted. To raise additional capital, Colovian kings began selling non-essential territory, including the Sistress Isles. A consortium of high-rock coin barons, led by Duchess Martine Guimard, purchased the archipelago for an undisclosed sum in 1st era 2327. Duchess Guimard was unquestionably the canniest ruler of her day, described as cold and imperious by her contemporaries, common invective for powerful women of the era, she amassed vast wealth not through marriage and diplomacy, but through the markets. Specifically, a combination of shrewd lending, smuggling, land acquisitions, and draconian tax policy. Acquiring the Sistress Archipelago made Duchess Guimard's star rise higher at court than even she had hoped. In a letter to her son Mark Guimard, she stated, The houses are greatly pleased, both ally and rival. Indeed, It is as if I traded a handful of grain for the whole of Tamriel. House Quimard sought ownership of the Sistras to exploit the island's natural resources, but they quickly learned that the true value of the archipelago was cultural. Despite being administered by the empire, the island's thriving labor communities were thoroughly Britonic in language, culture, and custom. This population dynamic, combined with the discovery of Druidic ruins on High Isle, Galen, and Iphelan, fixed the Cistress in Hyrock's collective imagination, an untouched cradle of Breton history, occupied by Bretons and now owned by Bretons. Guimard, along with several of her contemporaries, visited the Sistress in First Era 2328 for an official induction ceremony and dubbed the largest island High Isle, in honor of the Bretons' ancestral home Hyrock, a name that remains in place to the current day.